0: Hello and welcome to Potshot. I'm Alex Towles and I'm joined by Lorcan and Manus this week as well as, waking his debut on the pod, Brandon Manuel. Hello Brandon. Hey guys. So, this week's Potshot question. It has been 12 league meetings in the coming and the last time Arsenal beat Manchester City was back in 2015. Last time we beat them in the Premier League that is. What were you guys up to in 2015, Lorcan?
1: Um, I actually tried to decipher where I was because I can't remember watching this game, which is quite embarrassing. Um, but I, in October of that year, I'd, I got my dog, which is like one of the best things that ever happened in my life. So I was probably like cleaning up his shit or something <laughs> um, that December. Yeah.
2: Manus. I, I can't I don't remember 2015 I was I probably was partying somewhere I don't remember probably missed the game because I, I can't remember that game to save my life I had to I, did, I did, went back and looked for the highlights couldn't find them
0: Brandon what were you up to in 2015 were you out in nappies
3: <laughs> I was in primary school I was probably I don't know playing in a sand pit somewhere or something <laughs>
0: Uh, uh, back in 2015, I was 14 years old. Uh, it was December 2015, um, we, we last beat Man City. Uh, and I, it was the peak of my swimming career. So uh, I was a competitive swimmer. I'm now a swimming teacher, that's my day job. Uh, and I was a regional standard swimmer in 2015. So I was one of the best 14-year-old swimmers in the southwest region of England. In 2015 so probably I was in a swimming pool um but yeah so actually I I peaked last time Arsenal beat Man City which shows you how long I've been trailing off I suppose
1: that was like my athletic peak as well it's all downhill's yeah. insane.
0: <laughs> it's been a big week uh a big loss our first competitive loss of the season against Lons in the Champions League uh, which uh, we will not be digging into in this podcast. But not because we're ignoring it, but because we have a, a lot to say about the other game, uh, which was a win against Manchester City on Sunday. In what was a cagey tactical affair, Arsenal came out on top, as I said, for the first time in 12 Premier League meetings against Manchester City. Both sides were injury hit. City were without De Bruyne and Rodri and had a recovering Stones on the bench. Meanwhile, the Arsenal were without Saka and had a recovering Martinelli on the bench. Arsenal's out-of-possession plan, playing Rice at number 8 and Jorginho at number 6, set the tone, making central progression for a Rodri-less City difficult. In the first half, it was City who had the more dangerous chances, almost scoring off of a corner and a couple of dangerous transition situations, but they ended the half lucky to not be a man down after two challenges from Kovacic that could be called orange card tackles and he only picked up a yellow card for one of them. Arsenal went man-to-man in the second half and exacted more control on the game, limiting City to a single shot in the second half. Substitutions were the story with four men from the bench combining in the lead-up to Martinelli's goal in the 87th minute, just as the game looked like it was petering out into a draw. 1-0 to the Arsenal. Well, we've finally beaten City after so long. How are we feeling, lads? Lorcan, Lorcan, how much does this mean?
1: Yeah, loads. Um, I'm not going to lie, it's more relief than like pure like jubilation or um, because it is that psychological hurdle, which I feel like we might have surmounted. Obviously, this is like the whole narrative part of it um, in the community shield. But like, you know, I do think, and I think last year we proved that we we can be of the same level. as City, but you can't really expect a challenge if you can't beat them. And we didn't do that in the two matches that we needed to last season. Um, so to have sort of beaten them in the first two games of the season with relevant context, like two completely deflected goals, but it doesn't, one of those things where it doesn't really matter how it happens. It just needs to happen. Um, so I'm, I'm really relieved and also really happy.
2: Manus, how about you? Yeah, I think I'm going to say it's a relief more than, you know, I, I, I was so relieved We finally beat them in the league. Um, Yeah, and and I felt at the start of the game, just looking at how both teams approached it, that I was saying to myself, you know, I'm going to take a nil-nil here. I'm going to be happy with that because neither team was creating too much. And then we just got a lucky break with that goal. Uh, So, yeah, I think I'm I'm way more relieved that we can get that off our backs and uh, let's see what happens at the Etihad.
0: Brandon, you've got a little bit of a different perspective because you're actually a Manchester City fan. Obviously, you'll be feeling a bit different to us about this result, but does this mean as much to City fans as it does to us Arsenal fans?
3: I mean, not to me personally, because again, I don't think that the performance was bad uh, to say. I feel like the absence of key players, you know, Rodri De Bruyne, kind of impacted us a lot more than a lot of us thought it would, so I'm not necessarily disappointed or anything. I just feel like it was a well-played game by Arsenal and nothing really of concern to us, really.
0: Lorcan, I I heard that you were watching the game with a City fan last night, and he turned to you at the end, and he was like, why, why does this mean so much? <laughs>
1: it wasn't even a comment it was like oh wow this is like an observation it's like oh this really does mean a lot to you (laughs) I was like yeah I am a football fan (laughs) it's
0: quite funny how like it brings into perspective how much like this run of poor results against City has been like a monkey on the back of us as a team and us as fans and like for us like finally beating City is such a huge result, but to a City fan, yeah. like you guys are just like, I right, yeah. sure, <laughs> which is quite funny.
1: I mean, we went toe to toe with them last season, so like the whole, I guess, from an outside point of view, it's like, oh, the act like you've been here before makes sense, but we actually have not been here before. Yeah, like, so it is yeah, it it still does feel like they they were the big brothers that we needed to sort of. Proved that we were of equal stature.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and yeah, I, I'm sure all Arsenal supporting, of course, listeners to the podcast, which is probably most of you, but I don't know, some of you might be here just for for our wonderful personalities rather than being Arsenal fans. I'm sure all Arsenal fans listening uh, share that sense of catharsis that we all felt after the game. Let's get into the nitty-gritty of the game a little bit more then. Obviously, City were missing Rodri, arguably the best number six in the world, and a lot of the coverage before, during, and after this game has focused on how big a miss for City he is and would be. Manus, how much of an influence on the outcome of this game do you think Rodri's absence was?
2: I'd say, yeah, it, it was huge. I, I mean, you look at the game where he got the red card and this game, it's been four games and City won one game out of four and that was the Champions League game where he did play. So I think his impact on this team is much, much more than what De Bruyne does. Like I think they can still score goals but what Rodri brings to this team is very important. They had to, at times, push three players deep. In order to be able to, you know, progress through the center of the of, of the pitch, so I think he was a huge miss, and now he's going to be back. And I think it's been three games for him, right? Already, yeah. So I think he's going to be yeah. back, and we you'll instantly see that impact. You, you could tell like they're thinking about the forward pass through the lines. Yeah, like even though like our structure was really compact, but his his importance is very very high in the city team.
0: Brandon, would you agree with that, that Rodri is even more important to City than someone like De Bruyne?
3: Yeah, definitely. Because I feel like our chance creation is more more so systematic than in terms of like, it's it's shared. It's not more so like De Bruyne gets the ball and he crosses into box Hall and does some flippy shit, which most people think happens. And it's really not the case. It's more so, you know, bordering on different players. So I feel like Rodri... I feel like he's the only player in our team that can really receive in the middle of the pitch and progress it up the field. I feel like Kovacic, we saw it in the Wolves game, if you watched it, he was that lone pivot and I feel like he couldn't really exert as much control through the centres. Lorcan likes to say pinning the centre. He did, he doesn't do as well as Rodri does. So I feel like his impact, again, like manner said, is a lot more uh, important than De Bruyne is for sure.
2: I just want to add something something to that. In terms of, uh, as well as breaking pressing structures, uh I think he's very cerebral. I think there was a com- comment which, where I think he's talking about it or uh, maybe it's Pep where he's constantly thinking about the game. I think it was who was talking about this. But yeah, I think he does this where he's picturing the next moment where the pass will be, where the spaces will open up. And he's also talking about how he moves laterally to pull his marker to create separation between the presser and the guy is going to receive the ball next i think like in terms like it's little things but you miss those and like that's why he's undoubtedly the best sentiment in the world
0: so if rodri's absence from the starting lineup was the biggest problem pep had to solve coming into this game his solution was to play a midfield three of rico lewis uh mateo kovacic and bernardo silva which he spoke about after the game, was deliberately to have lots of safe ball-playing players in the middle of the park. Um, Brandon, is this what you expected? And do you think it worked?
3: Uh, Definitely not. I expected to see uh, a 4-2 of some sort because in the last game we played against you guys in last season, in April, I thought the 4-2 kind of allowed us to exploit the gaps that you guys leave in the middle when you play that single pivot and you push on the two interiors to press. But I feel like the 2-3 was a sort of stroke of genius because, again, the central coverage it gives us in Rodri's absence and having three bodies in the middle that can all retain the ball uh, at very high levels, it kind of allows for us to kind of overcompensate the lack of dueling power we have. Because I feel like Kovacic, Rico, Lewis Bernardo, Silva – Like, when you think of those players, you don't really think of players who can control the game, their physicality. But when you combine the three of them, you kind of, it allows you to have the ball and kind of, if you lose it, you have another two players there to win it. So it gave us, again, a lot of central coverage to protect against counters as well as the stuff they do on the ball.
0: So to be clear here, we're talking about the build-up structure that Manchester City were using. Uh, yeah. The 4-2 is the four centre backs that they became quite famous for, and then a double pivot in front. Um, you yeah. said that in, in this game they were using a 2-3 structure. Um, so was that three, the three midfield players? Yeah,
3: it was the three midfield players, yeah. With the full backs pushed
0: on. Yeah, so so the full backs then pushed right on up the pitch, did they? Yeah. It, it was almost sorry, yeah, it was almost like a
1: like it's hard to it was almost like a four three. Um. with the fullbacks in the same line as the midfield three but I mean I don't know I, I guess it's all like semantics anyways
0: Yeah but I think what what this speaks to is that City needed a lot of players back in order to try and progress the ball whereas normally they would rely on Rodri to do it they needed to pull an extra player back in order to achieve that um,
1: I, I perceived the the midfield three to be like an effort to pin the middle in the aggregate with like always having at least two players there. Um, it wasn't actually dissimilar to to how the community shield game ended when they were sort of doing those like movement and counter movement things with Bernardo in and out of the pivot. Um, but yeah, I think we covered it really well. There was like, like a potential structural weakness there because there was a numerical su- superiority for city. Um, but ultimately, it wasn't something they were able to exploit, and I think between the amount of cover, uh, the amount of space Rice can cover really quickly, and both of our wingers sort of narrowing to to block those passing lanes inside and and to deny access to um, the free man who is one of those three pivots, as it were. Um, I don't know if there's ever been a
0: treble pivot. Pivots as, yeah, I know, right? <laughs>
1: like. Um, I think we did really well, and it's something we at least contained. I don't know whether it like played into our. I, I think we more it was a more it was a game of as it often is for these top coaches, a game of sort of cat cat and mouse reaction, and um, I think it was something we managed overall quite well. Although there was scope for it to be exploited, but that's just how football works.
0: So, what out of possession approach did we use to try and deal with this from City?
1: Yeah, so I mean. I thought it was quite similar to the one we've been using against City in general. Um, And that was at least the rationale for using Rice at the eight because he can cover that ground um, quickly, a a hybrid approach um, where Odegaard jumps out to the left centre-back, which was Ake when he he had um, possession. There obviously was no central centre-back unless Edison was in the first line, which wasn't always possible. Um, So that was the pressing trigger um, where after Rice would jump onto the single pivot which was mostly Bernardo, sort of as that the 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 one which looked most like what Roddy would have been. Um and then it it, it depended on which um segment of the game we're talking about. Sometimes it was actually uh, the wide plays on those centre backs or rather Jesus on, on the left centre back. But more often than not, Jesus was sort of doing and same with Trossard on the other side, doing this sort of conservative thing, uh, where they were blocking passing angles inside while also being wary of their blindside, which was where the fullbacks were sort of holding width, but not necessarily high and wide. Um, And then Jorginho sort of at the beginning of the game jumping when we were a bit more man-to-man and also at the beginning of the second half, um, but also being helped out again in sort of the aggregate with Rice sometimes next to him when we were getting ready to transition back into a mid-block or when we were engaging high in that block it was one of the defenders coming, short, uh, coming yeah, short, so sometimes it was Gabriel, or sometimes it was White, because both of their City's wingers were sort of narrow. Um, but it was all situational. I know that's kind of a um, a complicated description there. Um, but yeah, I think we handled it quite well.
2: Um, I think our out-of-possession approach, uh, I think Logan explained it pretty on point, but I'm just going to say we weren't as aggressive as we used to be in the last game and i think this game's approach is is a direct consequence of what happened in the last two games where we lost and we got like in the league last season like got slapped absolutely in the key game uh, i think this time there was a lot more discipline and, and you know we wanted to keep the center compact but just because the city players are so technically high level players they were able to still retain the ball in tight tight spaces and bring it out. But not like they usually do, right? They're not able to find those those vertical balls straight into their strikers or Alvarez. I think I don't even, I can't remember Alvarez touching the ball that much or receiving, you know, sort of vertical pass. There were some instances but yeah, they were able to progress, I'd say. But, you know, like, down the sides, not directly through the center. Yeah, not
0: able to punish us in the same way that they have been in recent games. Uh, And I think this is something I've seen other people talking about um, post-game as well. Uh, For example, friend of the pod, John McKenzie, uh, talked a lot about how Arsenal's out-of-possession approach in this game was a consequence of last season, in that we've become increasingly more conservative with our press, letting City have the ball in early stages uh, in an attempt to stop them from being able to hurt us on the break.
1: Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. Um, also in like the particularity of this game, it's also, it's an approach that we've adopted on a macro scale this season. Like we, we did that for um, United and we did that for uh, Tottenham as well, who wouldn't necessarily, you wouldn't necessarily expect to command as much respect as City. Um, so I don't think it's, Complete, which I'm um, obviously John isn't saying this either, um, but it's not like complete PTSD um, of going man to man against City back in back in whenever it was what May April, um, but yeah, no, I, I agree with that.
2: But largely, I'd say the the approach was to just send them wide and get them to play a long ball or like a hard ball in like in into the block where it's harder to control. So I think in that case we sort of worked, uh, but there were there were instances where they did break the press, and they they found Alvarez, they found Foden, they found uh, Haaland once or twice. So I mean, and they're going to do that because they're a great technical team. Uh, but on on a large macro scale, we cancelled each other out.
0: Yeah, and we were set up in such a way that when they did find Harland or Foden or Alvarez, we were able to snuff that out pretty quickly. Brandon.
3: Yeah, I just wanted to add, I feel like Lorcan mentioned it briefly in his last monologue about how you guys use Jesus and Trussard quite narrow in your second line. I feel like a pattern that we didn't really explore enough was that kind of long ball to the fullbacks to get high. I feel like we saw it in the first half, I think it was a chance where... Gavadio received a long ball in behind white but he didn't really I think he went backwards and we restarted again I feel like a direct consequence of you guys trying to deny that kind of central play in between lines was there was a lot of space for us to exploit on the wings but I feel like when you have your fullbacks high Arteta must have just thought to himself what's more dangerous Foden getting the ball between the lines or Gavadio getting the ball in the wide left channel so I feel like direct consequence of us trying to play centrally was we kind of lessened our threat in the wide channels yeah We've talked a lot about
0: City's pivots, their treble pivot, if you will. Um, But let's talk about Arsenal's pivots, Jorginho and Rice, both of which I think we'd all agree had great games. Um, We saw Jorginho struggle and get bullied a little bit in the game against Spurs, but in this game, he was much better when under pressure, Um, being able to get a foot on the ball and keep the ball uh, really, really well. Manus, what do you make of the decision to start Jorginho?
2: So, before the game, I think there were certain lineups doing the rounds where people were saying that they did start Party and Rice. And I, was, I agreed with that. But when I saw the team sheet, uh, I was okay with it because we needed somebody who can actually progress uh, vertically. And he's, you know, like he can turn on the ball while facing the ball as well at times. Uh, and Rice gives you that central defensive cover where he's just basically going to snuff everything out. So I think in that, in those terms, I was okay with it. I had probably some fears of whether he'd get pressed or dispossessed physically. Uh, but I don't think that City had the players to really do that in this game. So yeah, I, I think on, largely, I think I was okay with it.
0: Yeah, I remember talking in after the Spurs game about how a large part of the reason why Jorginho was so open to be bullied was the lack of physicality in the midfield um, with Havertz and Erdogan lining up alongside him. Having Rice in the left eight spot does go a long way towards uh, relieving that because he balances out the midfield a lot more in terms of physical profile. Um, Lorcan, how do you think Jorginho did?
1: Yeah, first of all, I, I was shitting myself. I love Jorginho, <laughs> but like I, I'd say I tweeted before the game that like if you told me a couple of years ago that our title contention would rest on the shoulders of not being drawn out in the press with Jorginho as our six and as we know our our single pivot is um, tasked with cover, with a lot of like zonal to man um, responsibility, then, you know, I don't know what I'd say. But yeah, he had an amazing game, like genuinely probably my man of the match. Yeah. Um, I, I think it was. I think it was amazing. I think he was just as good slowing the game down and um, helping us get a foot on the ball, circulating back to Raya, um, helping us establish possession as he was actually speeding play up. There were a couple of times where he spread play quickly to the other side to launch a sort of a, an attack, keep an attack going. Um, he was really good at just staying still at the right times. Something we've talked about on this podcast before: the ability to to pin and and that sort of horizontal connectivity that we talk about um, with that's a that's a good skill for pivots and and to provide that angle support and what, then he what was you also mean
0: about horizontal connectivity again
1: sorry yeah um horizontal connectivity as in being able to to make those lateral passes with your back to goal stood inside the block or not necessarily stood inside the block but be able to spread play basically in the first phase or the second phase um, which helps aid progression. It's one of like the hardest things I, I personally think um, about football. Have sort of that have that three hundred and sixty image of the pitch in your head, um, and be able to pass sideways and um, establish um, or maintain possession. Yeah. So passing um,
0: sideways, but good.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> but passing sideways and good. No, but there. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, but yeah, and, and equally good at something else. We talked about vacating his zone, which is something we, we, you wouldn't necessarily um associate with a single pivot like Jorginho, because he's more in that Rodri mold of of standing still and and um being the simple pivot as it were, but I, I just thought he was really, really, really
0: good. Jorginho had a great game. Um but alongside him was Rice, who also had a great game. We've seen him play a lot in the pivot role, um and do really, really good stuff and some less good stuff. Uh but pushing him up to the left eight makes his role slightly different. Um Brandon, do you disagree or agree with Pep in that in that Rice was worth the money that we paid for him?
3: He should have he should have cost more. That guy's <laughs> he's unbelievable. I'm so jealous that you guys have my one next to Rodri so bad. Like, I've not seen a defensive midfielder have that big of a zone of influence since like Prime Makalele, like he's unreal. Like, I feel like every time we actually tried to penetrate you guys centrally in the block, he was just there, like with those massive legs. Like, he's he's unbelievable. I feel like his ability to just kind of shut off zones on the pitch is invaluable. Like, he's 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 ridiculous.
0: Yeah, we agree. Um, Lorcan, what what do you make of Rice in the eight as opposed to at the six?
1: In a vacuum, in this game, I think it worked really well, and I think it will continue to work in these sorts of games. I think it's our best lineup, um, or that midfield three of a single pivot, whoever it is, um, and then Rice's left eight, Odegaard is right eight. Um, we've also seen it against, was it Forest? Like whenever he, we did that weird diamond thing, and like let's just be real—if he's like high, um, is he, if he's being used as a high eight with the other team relinquishing possession, he's not going to look that good. Um, so it is completely dependent on the game. I think in possession, one of the reasons it really worked this time, which we'll get onto, was because of City's out-of-possession approach. He was given that license to um, face play at times, whereas he wasn't in other games. Um, and I think you, you can't really get a better defensive. Um, or he's, he's an upgrade on Shaka from that left eight um, spot out-of-possession. So yeah, I thought he he had a really good game.
0: And Manus, what do you make of it?
2: Yeah, I'm gonna. I'm just gonna say. Uh, out of possession, we already know he's he's an immense player. Uh, and in the first phase, he was like part of the double pivot. But he he rarely ever actually played in possession at as the eight because we basically did no build up down the left side. At least in the first half, it was like barely five, like one possession sequence where he was uh the left eight high up in possession. But it's, it's what he did in the pivot that's interesting because one, like he's spinning, obviously, because and Rico Lewis had the dual job of covering him and also going to fight to Gabriel when he received the ball. And there's this one instance where uh, we actually like sort of open them up where Rice receives and Bernardo is not coming on to him from deep, right? He's the extra one. But he's not he's not stepped up. So I'm screaming for him to please turn on the ball. And you can face play and you can actually like Odegaard. Uh we'll come on to him later. But he was in the pocket. And if he just you know took a better touch and faced play, he could have played through. So I think there were a few instances of those. But again, just in terms of in just for this game, I'm I'm not gonna, you know, berate him out on his own position stuff because like this was safety first, so then so yeah. I mean, defensively, we know he had an incredible game.
0: We 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 actually had a question uh, from Michael Clark on those left hand side dynamics. Uh, he added us on Twitter earlier today as we're recording and said, "Curious what you made of the Trossard Rice Zinny LS left side pod in the first half. Saw much more Zinni on the touchline, Trossard tucking in. Uh, and by the way." Please do this. Please just at us on Twitter at Pot Shop pod and ask us questions. I love this. This gives us things to talk about. So, thank you so much, Michael. And if you have any questions, uh, then please let us know. We will be more than happy to answer them. um Manus, you, you alluded to it a little bit there. How you thought it was a little bit. In ideal, having that three as a left hand side in possession, um, what did you make of the other players' performances outside of Rice
2: in the in on the left side? Yeah, yeah, I think um, Zinchenko had a decent game where there were he did a lot of good things. He actually he was defensively good as well because I was a little scared when Toku came on. Uh and he went straight uh 1v1 <laughs> versus him. Um but I think he there were there was there were 10-minute periods in both the first half and the second half where Zinchenko plays the pivot and we do our usual inverting 3-2 stuff. Uh where we try to play football, like we try to play forward, we try to play our game, but then the game sort of matches what City were trying to do, and we put our fullbacks wide. Uh, because there is no space in the center and we want to have safety force. Like, I mean, we want to have Jorginho and Rice in there. So uh, I feel we didn't access the left side enough. Uh, and I think uh, Arteta said, I think Trossard picked up a slight hamstring thing around 30th minute. Uh, so he wasn't having the greatest of games. But he, uh, yeah, he made one incredible pass, I think. But uh, overall, I think we just gravitate towards the right side anyway. That's where we were able to create
0: dynamic situations. Yeah, obviously normally we gravitate to the right-hand side because that's where Saka is and Saka is possibly our best player. Uh, Definitely Saka and Erdogan combined is like the creative hub of our side. Uh, But we didn't have Saka today. We had Gabriel Jesus out on the right wing. Lorcan, what did you make of his performance out on the right
1: very good, actually. I think um, upon first watch, I was slightly frustrated um, just because that final action was missing. Um, and we saw him do that thing where he just overworks it and tries too hard um, a couple times. times. Um, but I thought it was really good. Like you said, we used him as sort of a high volume guy. Um, he was really good, like really, really good as an outlet in behind and both into feet, into feet as well. Um, which is a really hard thing to do, um, provide, uh, yeah, it was a bit of a headache for Guardiola actually overall. And yeah, no, I thought, I thought it was really good. It was just the final ball that was missing, but we say that so often with Jesus and immense out of possession actually. Um, especially given the little tweaks that were made, um, throughout the 90 minutes, there were times where he was, you know, tasked with pushing up onto Ake or sticking, almost man to man on the left back Vardiole or doing something in between. So I, I thought he had a really tactically mature performance.
0: Brandon, you've seen that Jesus blossom as a player at City and then come to Arsenal and become one of the star men. Um what do you make of the player that he is for us? Uh and do you think what what do you make of his performance today specifically?
3: Yeah, I feel like he was he was really good and he was always great for us in these sorts of like cagey big games because like his defensive work rate is like off the planet. Like his ability to kind of execute what the manager wants from him off the ball is like second to none for forward. So I always felt like his value is always seen in these sorts of games. And I feel like on the ball he gave Vardio a lot of trouble. I feel like Vardio's strengths already aren't defending out wide one v one. I feel like his use, uh, his aggressiveness on the ball was really really good and I feel like. That was kind of maybe a pattern you guys didn't exploit much, trying to get him isolating against Vardio 1v1 out wide. But apart from that, he was was brilliant today. I mean, yesterday, sorry. (laughs) While we're looking at how
0: Arsenal performed in possession, let's look at the other side of the coin and talk about how City performed out of possession. Uh, We mentioned before how this was very much a game where the two sides cancelled each other out. And that means that if we were pretty good... Out of possession when City had the ball, then City must have been pretty good out of possession when we had the ball. Brandon, what do you make of how City approached this game out of possession?
3: Yeah, I feel like it was, you know, standard City, which is, you know, on the ball when you guys had the ball in your own half. That sort of zonal kind of man to market hybrid system where. Every player kind of has a double responsibility where you're responsible for being the kind of shadow player for the player behind you and responsible for pressing in front of you. I feel like on-goal kicks, though, what was really interesting is we kind of used Ake like really, really aggressively. He was kind of responsible for kind of following Odegaard deeper, which I feel like you guys maybe didn't take as much advantage of as I thought you would. I feel like if you kind of gave the ball to your right centre back and kind of look for those long balls towards the middle like how we used against you in April I feel like that could have been a pattern you kind of used a bit so I feel like it was kind of usual city but there were weaknesses especially with Ake kind of being responsible for Odegaard so yeah
0: Fair enough Um, you, you mentioned Ake had a little bit of trouble um with Odegaard can you go into that a little bit more?
3: Yeah, so you guys were kind of building in that sort of 4 2 base. Uh, and I feel like what we kind of how we responded to that was okay, we're going to go man to man against that six, but Odegaard was still deeper. So I feel like you know, in those situations, what I thought we would do was kind of drop one of the interiors and shadow Odegaard, but we kind of left him roaming in the middle and just told Nathan Ake, if that ball goes to him, it's your job to kind of follow him deeper. And I feel like you guys didn't really take advantage of that as much as I thought you would. You kind of played about a bit in the in your own half and then kind of looked to find them. But I feel like if you guys went early to Odga, that could have been a pan for you to score. Uh,
0: Manas, do you agree? And why do you think we did that?
2: Yeah, I think um, because uh, I I took screenshots in the game and what Brandon is talking about. I was just looking at my where I put my screenshots and Odegaard was much more central in midfield in this game than he usually is where he's sort of like wider Um, uh, it, it was to I think it was to exploit Bernardo as the six where he's responsible for laterally roaming the field uh, but so now Bernardo has a dual responsibility of jumping and then Foden has a dual responsibility where he if Aki is not coming back Fortin has to come back, uh, come in to stop Odegaard. So They were, we could have exploited that, where if our pivots would have split, they, it could have created central passing opportunities for Aya, but we didn't do that. And it's, again, it's the same instance that I'm talking about, where uh, where I was, I was saying Rice received and he took a bad touch and he could have faced. Odegaard was free in the middle because Bernardo sort of, uh, I think he's seen Trossard dropping and he's went to him and there's a huge space in the middle. So I think we could have used that more.
0: Uh, Do you think that was a
2: conscious choice not to try and exploit that? I think it was more uh, of... uh, How should I say it? I think maybe not confident enough of playing that pass because Raya had to play that pass. And in the first 10-15 minutes, he already had a couple of moments, right? So maybe he was like not ready to play that pass yet.
1: That was just touching on on goalkeepers. That was an interesting point. I think Rye had an absolutely horrific first half, by the way. But um, yeah, it, I mean, nothing new under the sun necessarily, but it was just kind of cool to see how both goalkeepers were used, not only as those centre-backs, but there to sort of bait the man-to-man. And then as soon as they recognised that the pressing unit was man to man. It was that ball over the top to the to the far side winger. We saw it for both teams. Yeah. Um it's just, yeah, I don't know, it's quite you can you can see the the rationale there from from both managers.
0: Both teams were very fine with the other having the ball deep. And so you saw a lot of Raya having the ball with his with his foot on it, kind of waiting for a press that never came and you saw Edison doing something similar a lot in the other side. Lorcan, you mentioned that the result of that was us playing long quite a bit, and the same for City. What did you make of that?
1: Uh, yeah, I, I think it worked. I, I think, you know, Raya had the the most final third entries amongst Arsenal players, which is crazy. Um, uh, despite that first-half performance, which I, I genuinely, there were like five mistakes, um, which aren't really necessarily being talked about right now. It's fine, we won. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I think, it, as you said, like there were times where both keepers were on the ball waiting for a press that wasn't necessarily arriving. Um, and there were actually times where Raya almost got caught out, I think twice, which I thought were going to be goals for City, especially that first one. But the thing about doing that, about about baiting the press, is even if you don't bait, like you, you still bait like some level of engagement um so if you all these like minutia, if you orient your body a particular way as if you're going to pass to set off a potential passing trigger, then obviously that impacts how one player does a mini jump and then how so you can kind of alter it again, like I, I know there's this whole thing on Twitter people hating the idea that this is a game of chess, but goalkeepers know this. They're they're instructed because they're the furthest man back, but also because they're now this auxiliary centre back. They know that they can, or the good ones at least know that they can alter the the structure and the particulars of the block, um, and you can see it because as soon as like there's a little movement from one of the forwards, is there it is there's there's a space that's opened up there's it's all about like controlling the distances I guess in 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 these hybrid blocks, um, but yeah I thought I thought it worked well for City as well actually obviously I was paying more attention to Arsenal on the rewatch but um, Edison got City out of trouble a couple of times um, while doing the same thing
0: A a peek behind the curtain here is that Lorcan wrote our podcast plan uh, for today's episode and one of the questions he's got written down is about how Arsenal looked relatively comfortable with the ball despite City's notorious excellence when they are out of possession Uh, but you've also just mentioned how we looked really nervy at times in early build-up so could you please square that circle for me?
1: I think like I from from I, I approach these games from a fan standpoint where the ones I remember are the ones like the April game where we get suffocated in the press. Cause City can do that. Um and I, I in retrospect I shouldn't have been surprised, especially when I saw the starting lineup with those three central midfielders who are really um really small. Um and they don't have many dual winners in the middle of the pitch like Arsenal do. But we've struggled in build-up this year situationally at times when when on the odd times that teams have engaged us. Um, and we haven't both times that we've played against City, which is just like counterintuitive on one level. But on another level, it isn't um, because we've had this tendency of vacating, uh, our pivots vacating the middle, basically to be an extra man facing play when they have the ball. And what that does is that kind of sacrifices the the structural integrity when you're building because there's no one in the middle anymore um, and teams can jump and that can activate a high press. But City didn't do that because there was no incentive for them to activate that high press because ultimately in those 50-50 situations, they're gonna lose more than they win because of the profiles of their midfielders. So it's sort of a quid pro quo where the in-possession stuff can't necessarily be separated from the out-possession stuff.
0: That's so, sort of my
1: rambling on that. So part. City...
0: Sorry, I, let me just make sure I'm understanding yeah, yeah, you definitely. right. Uh, so you, you're you saying City weren't pressing us high because if they pressed us high, we would have just got around them easily because they were playing quite a lightweight midfield. Is that...
1: Yeah, in, in short, it was, there was definitely much more scope for that to happen. And it was something, at least in my mind, that Guardiola was wary of. Um, I I and again this is where I want to go to Brandon about this, um, and then but just quickly on whether that was at odds. I don't think that's necessarily with at odds with us looking shaky. I think that was more an individual thing on Raya's part, um, and also just the, the risk that comes with using your goalkeeper who's meant to save shots um, as someone who's now a ball playing centre back for all intents and purposes. Um, and I think City did generally well, especially in the first half. In Activating that high block into a press without jumping, 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 which is sometimes what we do, um, and what Pep would have instructed City not to do um, in in this, at least in my mind. Would you agree with that assessment of City not jumping in that way, especially because of the the midfield pro- profiles, um, and whether you were expecting our, us to have so much success in in sort of in possession? I certainly predicted the first half to be a sort of affair where we'd have 40% possession, you 60%. But then I didn't necessarily think about who you'd play. So yeah, just your general thoughts on it.
3: Yeah, we we're definitely less aggressive than how we usually are off the ball in terms of, like you mentioned, the jumps. I feel like the focus was more so block the space in which you have to play locally and just try and force those long balls towards the back line. Because while we didn't have as many ones in the middle, I feel like our back line, again, is still quite physical compared to yours. We have like Definitely. players, four players over six foot one plus. So I feel like, like you mentioned, there was no incentive for us to kind of jump and press aggressively because at the end of the day, Rico Lewis is not being Declan Rice in a dual football. So I feel like, yeah, you're right. It was more so block the space locally and just try and force long balls over the top to Vardy or to Walker to Ake where they'd comfortably win it over some of your four players.
0: On that note, let's have a quick break. After the break, we will discuss the substitutions that were made over the course of the game and how they changed the approaches from both sides. But that will be after this, in the words of Seb, in the words of me, Sweet Jazzy Jingle. What a lovely break that was. Um... If you're wondering why I called it a sweet jazzy jingle, that's because in the last episode, which I'm sure you all listened to, um, Seb said that it was a sweet jazzy jingle and said that that was something I say all the time. I'm pretty sure I've never called it a sweet jazzy jingle in my life, but hey, here we are. I've definitely called it a jazzy jingle, but never a sweet one. That's a weird word.
1: Yeah, that's a Sebism.
0: That that's a Sebism.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um,
0: so there there you are, Seb. It's a sweet jazzy jingle just for you. Um, the second half was a story of substitutions, with lots being made, and many of them having a decisive impact on the game. The most decisive of which being Gabrielle Martinelli, who was the first to come on, replacing Trossard at half time. Um, we've talked a lot in recent weeks on this podcast about how we've missed Martinelli's pace and directness and the outlet he offers us in attack. Manus, what impact did he make when he came on?
2: Yeah, he basically changed the game for us. Like, essentially, like, first touch, control, step over, and then control, and he comes in and puts in an incredible cross. Uh, That just lifts the game, right? Because up until, uh, at least in the first half, uh, after the first 10 minutes where we did pass well, we didn't create anything, basically. Uh, of substance, but you know, you need, you need somebody to come on and say, You know, I want to play in games like this, like this is where I want to compete. And he did, and he came on, he competed, uh, he was ready to receive the ball under pressure, turn, run with it. So, yeah, I think he basically changed the mood around the stadium, he changed the game. Uh,
0: Logan how would you contrast Martinelli's performance to that of Trossard, who he replaced? Uh, what did he do differently that worked so well?
1: Yeah, I mean I guess simply put they're just completely different profiles aren't they? Um Trossard as as Alex um doesn't stop saying and rightly so in my opinion is much better in central areas um just will not stretch the back line. Um his dynamism is directly limited by his his more limited zone of influence out wide. Um whereas Martinelli I I, I described I often describe him as he functions in straight lines, um, which can be rather infuriating sometimes because he'll just, and he did it this game as well, just run into a man. Um, But he's just so direct, really fast, head down, wants to make something happen um, and just gives you that outlet on the other side and allows you to stretch the
0: game. And a goal threat as well. Mm. Oh, yeah. Um, Brandon, from a City point of view, what do you make of Martinelli?
3: Because... Was he a handful? <laughs> we think yeah, it was he was a handful. Put, he puts the fear of God into it because like, he he has this mindset where no matter who's in front of him, he'll just attempt the 1v1. Like Usually when we play teams with Carl Walker right back, the left wing will get it and then he'll kind of look at Carl Walker, hesitate, play it back. But Martin a. just has this kind of go mindset all the time where he'll get it and just attempt to pull something off even if it doesn't work. So I feel like that kind of stretched us out a little more compared to when Trossard has the ball, where I feel like he was kind of had that natural inclination to just recycle it. So I feel like, yeah, like Lawton said, that added dynamism just kind of injected that pace and momentum in the game, which kind of led to your goal.
0: Obviously, this was only a 45-minute appearance, uh, as big an appearance as it was, uh, but... How much of a lift do you think it will be, Manus, to have Martinelli back fully fit? Touchwood after the international break.
2: Yeah, back. Like we, we just go straight back to basics. Uh, he he goes straight back into the team um, because he's highly important off the left wing. Even though I know, like we've been so lopsided towards our right side this so far this season, um, but then there's an always an opportunity right with him there. And he's gonna be just that dog of a footballer where he's just going, going, going. I know, I know it can be frustrating at times with him, uh, but it's important that he's in the team because like his mindset and mentality is what like, basically what makes him stand out.
0: And we really miss his ability. We miss his fearlessness one v one when he's not on the pitch. Yeah, we we saw it in midweek against Longs. So I know we said we weren't going to talk about this game, but hey, it's come up. Um, how when Saka went down. Um, it, having Trossard on one wing and Vieira on the other was a real issue because we couldn't there, there was no dynamism there neither of those guys were going to take on their man and beat them in the way that we would normally have in abundance when Sacro Martinelli on the pitch it really hurts us when either one of them is out let alone two so having Martinelli back is a big bonus
1: so, someone someone said on Twitter Martinelli's movements are like so um, it's not verbatim but uh so unorthodox that you like you think he's made a mistake and that's why he gets past the player because the player's like oh he's made a mistake like he's knocked it into me or knocked it into someone next to me and then suddenly he's through on goal or like <laughs> okay. has access to it and it's so true like it, it, it's, his body
0: mechanics are just so odd to look at um, but they're really effective City's first set of substitutions came in the 68th minute, when Guardiola brought on Stones, Nunes, and Doku for Rico Lewis, Kovacic, and Alvarez. What was the thought process behind that, and how well do you think it worked, Brandon?
3: Yeah, I feel like he was kind of, he recognised that, okay, this game's going to the final stretch, let me try and maybe salvage a point, salvage the three points if we can with Doku. And I feel like, it kind of led to a downfall in the sense that we played a lot more looser than we were for the last like 60, 70 minutes. And it kind of led to the game going a bit more end-to-end than he had liked. And then I feel like you guys brought on Tomyasu. I don't know if I was after Doku or before, but I feel like Tomyasu dealt really, really well with Doku whenever they faced up v one. once. So I feel like that didn't really have as much of an effect as we thought it'd be. And I feel like Nunez, he was great when he came on, I feel, because his ability to kind of, accelerate the game from a standstill is kind of second to the prem And that, compared to Kovacic, he's so imposing when he gets on the move and it allows us to kind of progress it without needing five or six passes like maybe a Kovacic does.
0: Yeah. Uh, um, so the Arsenal triple triple sub in which Tomiyasu came on came in the 75th minute, whereas um, Doku, Nunez and Stones came on in the 68th. So there was a few minutes there. Um, but yeah. Um, made him switch sides. Yeah. Yeah. Bullied the hell out of him so much that he would I mean trained to try and go at Ben White.
1: That I mean, that's apparently why Tommy. I mean, we've seen our, our fullbacks, particularly on the left-hand side, make, make those underlapping runs. Timber did it when he was playing there. Um, but I think that's why he did it. Um, this is not me psychologizing. This is I've I've seen this. Um, in that Tommy Asu was given the license to supposedly push forward and, and be a, a bit of a weird unconventional um outlet because Doku changed sides. So it's funny how these things happen.
0: Mm. What what do you what did you make of um Doku Manus? Because um a lot has been made of his dynamism and how direct he is for City in his early City career. A lot like Martinelli in a way, but he didn't have the same game-changing impact as Martinelli had.
2: Yeah, I think there was one instant, like right before our subs and in between the, like, the time when they came on, I think we were starting to tire as well. So uh, we just went a lot more deeper into our pitch. And there's this two or three-minute period, uh, I think up post the 65th minute, where they do find Foden in, like, in space and then he plays it onto... Who can run? Um, yeah, I think he was the main guy. I think who probably Pep saw. I think Brandon mentioned it as well. Who's going to change the game? And he did. Like all he did was like come, go, dribble, dribble, dribble. Um, even in his own half, deep in on the left side, he tried to dribble through all the pressure. But I think uh, we dealt with it uh, pretty well. I don't think he caught clear 1v1s um, except that one time. Uh, I think Nunez was probably the guy who did try to make things happen with his uh, dribbling ability. Again, Brandon just mentioned that. But uh, he also got exploited a couple of times uh, in his positioning where uh, he gets the ball pinched off of him and it, it doesn't come to anything because we're not able to counter because everybody's so tired, nobody pushes on. And I think there's this one moment where I think City could have gotten out from deep build-up, but he's, because he's not Rodri and he doesn't know how to position, he's slightly deeper where he needs to be a couple of steps higher and he got gets the ball pinched off of him. Um, but I, I think at this point, I don't think Guardiola had a lot of, you know, ideas to how to change this game anymore.
0: Yeah, I do think it's quite interesting how City, like, added a lot of ball-carrying ability this summer with um, bringing in Doku, Nunes, and Kovacic. But we're not going to go into that because this isn't a Manchester City pod. Uh, What we are going to go into is the Arsenal substitutions, which, as said, came on the 75th minute. Partey came on for Jorginho, uh, Tomiyasu came on for Zinchenko, as mentioned, and then Kai Havertz came on for Eddie Nkecha. Um Lorcan, Kai Havertz played up front.
1: Yeah, I'm happy, ma'am. Um, I, again, to refer to one of my tweets, I think a lot of people saying he didn't do anything special, and I don't necessarily disagree with that statement, but I don't think you can say that he didn't give us a dimension that we didn't already have. Um, and you can dispute whether that's worth 65 million, not really important. Um, well, I guess in a macro scale it is, but not really important today. Um, I just think like at base level, he can be functional there and give us a dimension that we don't already have on top of all of the other stuff that he gives us out of possession. Um and it's a really if if at the very worst it's a really good game state sub to currently have, um, without projecting into the future. Um, his hold up play there was really good. Um, it's the only time for me where he looks comfortable using his frame to good effect. Um, he's still really gangly, but in a way that's that helps him. Um, and then yeah, he's got uh, sort of a a box of tricks. Um, in terms of sort of heading down, chesting down, um, taking the ball down, bringing other players into play, which we saw for the goal, just really basic stuff. Um, I'm not calling him like R nine or anything, but he's just so much better at, at centre forward. And I think he it was a, it was a good, really good, nice um, cameo.
0: Manus, I saw a lot of people on Twitter bemoaning Eddie and Ketcher's performance in this game uh and then talking about how Havertz in comparison did really well. Um do you think Eddie's performance was lacking in this game? Uh and if it was, do you think Havertz what do you think Havertz provided that Nketiah did not?
2: Um I don't think Eddie played a bad game. Um, I think he was pretty good, especially off the ball in in the duties that he was given in terms of the dual role in the press and receiving. Uh, you know, just back to goal at times. I think he did well, if I remember. Uh, again, like he's not somebody who's gonna like beat somebody consistently and create his own shots. Um, but yeah, I think I think he had a good game overall. I'm not gonna say like he had a horrible game, and. I think it's like unfair to compare his performance in this game to Havertz's because like Havertz played what, like 15 minutes and he ran for like 68, 75 minutes. But yeah, Havertz is center forward. I think uh, he's at the end of the game, we suddenly got that, you know, target man. Uh, he just put the, like Rea got his target man and he could just launch those balls. And he, in fact, ha- Havertz did really well. Uh, Especially after we scored the goal, like he plucked the ball down, he kept the ball well, and uh, I think I think Logan just uh, mentioned like where he was used his chest to create a chance uh, when uh, Jesus, I think uh, dribbled a couple of pairs in the box. So yeah, I think habits did really well. he he was important for the goal. And it's funny how like uh, these things happen, right? He he gave us something. He gave the centre forward frame sort of. Uh, play to us to end the game
1: and that's also two matches against City now that he's looked really important at, at centre forward no less um, and that sort of like transition threat um, or, or target man out ball is something that I don't think we have in Enketia unless it's running the channels which he's better than Havertz at um, but he isn't the physical presence that, that Havertz is and I think it's no surprise Um but yeah I think it's a pretty good point, good uh, time to ask uh Brandon, I guess, because it's like we go around in circles as as board members talking about I have it somewhat jokingly now. But what do you make of the overall signing,
3: Brendan? And also just his best role. I mean, I feel like it's quite established that it's as a centre forward. I feel like at left centre mid, he just doesn't know how to play in midfield, like when to drop, when to go high. He just hasn't got the minerals to play midfield, which I don't think is his fault, because I just don't think he played it as a kid or as a youth growing up. So I feel like centre forward kind of it maximizes the efficiency of his game. Because I feel like Havertz is best when he has as little touches in the build up as possible when he's just allowed to focus on scoring goals. And I feel like physically he's as good as anything because I feel like our centre backs they kind of struggle to deal with him compared to, I was saying it reminds us of when we played Brentford because Ivan Tony always gives us trouble when we come up against him because he's able to pin our centre-backs back and have a, has that same effect. So I feel like just trying to get him as many minutes at centre-forward as possible would kind of make this signing make sense to me. So I feel like he's definitely a striker. For sure.
0: I, I feel like Seb would throttle us if we neglected to mention that Havertz in his early career did play uh, in midfield or at least a midfielder-ish role uh, at Bayer Leverkusen. So uh, it's not like he's never played midfield before, Um, but I am certainly no expert on early career Kai Havertz, so I don't really have anything to add on that point other than to say that he has played midfield before. But um, yeah, I, I think I think it's nice to see Havertz impacting games positively wherever he is on the pitch, right? Like, we've had seen him have his struggles and have people get on his backs a, a, a lot uh, early in this season, early in his Arsenal career. But after this game, people were talking about how good he's been. And that's a nice change. So let's hope he keeps... Uh, Let's hope we see more of the same, whether it's in the left eight role or whether it's up front.
2: Yeah. By the way, he got the assist for the goal. So yeah, I think that's what... Yes, absolutely.
0: 007, eat your bloody heart out. He's got a goal and an assist now. Talking of our goal, actually, the four Arsenal substitutions combined in order to create our 87th minute winner with that big Partey vertical yeet that we've bemoaned so many times. Uh, Finding Tomiyasu, who bombed forward, who got the ball onto Havertz, who knocked it down to Martinelli, who knocked it into Nathan Ake and into the back of the Manchester City net. Um, We haven't touched on Partey yet, but I think it's worth doing so as he... As I said, his big vertical yeet that we've talked about being a bad thing so often um, was a catalyst for our winning goal in this game. Uh, Manus, what do you think he brought in his 15-minute cameo? Uh,
2: I think just security in the centre. And like I said, I would have preferred if he started, but I understand fitness reasons. Uh, But I think I I didn't see him do a lot of vertical passing if I I can't remember the last 15 minutes, uh, but yeah, he just brings security. Uh, and maybe uh, Arteta felt that you know he's just a better cover. Uh, if you want to push rides forward a little bit in the end moments of the game, so yeah, I, I think he just knows how to play that central role now, I mean, play balls around the corner as well. And it's so funny like he launches a ball and it's Tomiyasu running through the. It, uh, it's sort of the run, it's sort of a run where uh, city would, uh, made a lot of those runs like alvarez made a lot of those runs um, haaland made a lot of those runs when the center backs had the ball but they didn't explore the like the aerial route a lot and the one time we did like it falls on demaso head so yeah like it's funny how things work out now. And we got the big the
0: lads. Yeah. All this tactical chess match stuff. And it's a big lump up to a big lad who knocks it on to another big lad who knocks it on to the little lad who puts it in the goal to win the game. Perfection. Yeah. After a deflection. Absolutely. Awesome stuff. Uh, Manus, you said that, um, that you think the Parte sub was to add security in the midfield. Do you think the three changes on 75 minutes were made in an attempt to go and win the game by Arteta or do you think he was trying to see the game out and then the winner was a happy accident
2: yeah I think uh, I think at that point he was probably ready to take the nil-nil as I was at some point in the first half uh, and I think his substitutions are a di- direct reaction of what Pep did like I think Tommy Asus was was essentially brought on to uh, negate Doku, uh, but like he switched wings and uh, party was just brought on to add a little bit of security in the center, I think. And Havertz was like just to add hold up play. I don't think like he was thinking about the winner at that point. So I think yeah, that's an happy accident uh, that we got the goal. But I think after twelve games in the Premier League, six years. Uh, that we haven't beaten them, I, it had to be like just something goes your way, and then like you can start to build from there.
1: He was ushering us on on the touchline, like in the eighty-sixth minute, like go forward, forward, forward. But that is, I guess, who we are and who he is.
0: Absolutely, um, and I think that's probably a good point on which to end the pod. Uh, Brandon, do you have any closing remarks? I I I, I want to ask, how? Where do you think
1: you like? come season, the season in the league, oh, you said you you think you'll win it, but Champions League expectations?
3: I mean, I just think that there's no one in Europe that comes close to kind of matching us tactically at all. And I feel like as long as we have Haaland up front, that there's just no way, there's no scenario in which we don't win it, like at all. Uh, actually, is this
1: the Champions League?
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're not intimidated, or not intimidated,
1: but not... um feel threatened at all by us
3: no no not at all not at all no fair enough yeah oh my god this
0: this is the it's the meme of the like i am obsessed (laughs) with you i don't think about you (laughs) at all kind of thing and i I think that's what this game has encapsulated uh but hey that is the the ongoing thing of football fandom I'm, i'm sure there will be Man City fans who are, will become just as scared of Saka and Martinelli as they are, were of Liverpool's front three in good time. Um, but with that said, I think this is a good point on which to end the podcast. Uh, thank you, Brandon, for joining us. If people want to find more of you here, more of your opinions, where can they do so?
3: Yeah, they can uh, find me on Twitter under Brandon H. Manuel. Awesome. As
0: always, of course, that will be linked in the description of this podcast. Go and follow Brandon for excellent football opinions. Um, Apart from the ones where he says that Man City are good, those ones can go away. (laughs) But otherwise, we're all right. Um, Thank you to Lorcan and Manus for joining me and providing your expert analysis, as always, on the podcast. Uh, You've become fan favourites quickly in your time on the pod. So thank you, as always. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe for more. Or wherever you find your podcasts, uh, we will be there. And if we're not, then send us a message and we will endeavour to be there pretty quickly. Uh, leave us a review as well, whether it be on iTunes or Google Pods or Spotify or whatever. It really does help us out. Um, and if you've got any questions like Michael did, then feel free to send us a message on Twitter or on Blue Sky, which is an application that we are now on thank you to james blake for making the music you can find him on all good music platforms at jw blake and lastly thank you to you for listening international break next week hopefully this time we'll actually be able to get that sam and pod happening see you there for it
2: cheers